Our episodes frequently involve triggering events. If you or anyone you know is suffering, Crisis Text Line offers 24-7 support. Text HOME to 741-741 for the U.S. and Canada, 85258 for the U.K. and 50808 for Ireland. You can find them on crisistextline.org and they're also available to message via Facebook. Hello again, Nightmare Society. Welcome to the last episode of the year. Sad, I know. However, we will be back the first Thursday of 2021, refreshed and ready to totally creep you out. Our online campfire will still be active, and we've got about 14 bonus episodes over there at the moment. So if you're interested in checking that out, as well as supporting the podcast... Go to patreon.com slash nightmare society. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash nightmare society. A big thanks goes to our contributors for tonight's episode. User always angry fox, user annoying tactician, and anonymous. Now, get comfy and prepare yourself for another episode of the Nightmare Society. My sister and I were talking the other day, and the conversation made me remember something that happened when I was about seven years old. It was 1998. I don't remember the day, but I remember it was sunny outside. I'm playing on our driveway with my toys. My dad, I believe, is at work. I don't remember where my sisters are, and my mom had left me home alone. This was something she did often when she had to run a quick errand and didn't want to take me along, I guess. I was so used to this that I thought it was normal for parents to leave their children alone. Anyway, I knew the drill when she left. Don't leave the yard. If I need help, go to my aunt's house. She lived one block over. Snacks and food were by the microwave, and again, don't leave the front yard. I remember playing on the driveway when a red truck pulled up by our mailbox. There was a man in it. I remember the truck being bright red. My details on the man are blurry. I was seven, but I remember blonde hair, a beard, and the grin he gave me that made me feel sick. He asked me if I knew where street was. I shook my head no. He asked if my parents knew, and stupidly, I said they weren't home. Then he left after that. Several minutes later, he circled back, showed me a map, and tried to coax me into the truck to show him the street he was looking for. I didn't move, because that would be leaving the front yard. He left again, and circled back around again. This time, he tried asking if I could get him a phone. We only had a landline since this was before cell phones were really popular. Since it was one of those with a long cord, I could not. He got out of the truck. I don't know why, but I ran inside as fast as I could, locked the front door, and hid in my parents' closet. I could hear him knocking and our dogs in the backyard going nuts. 
We had two chows and they did not like strangers. Mom found me when she got home. She was angry that I had left my toys in the driveway, but I told her what happened. Later on I learned that one of my neighbors had called the police after seeing him trying to open the gate into the backyard. Thankfully my dogs were having none of that. The man was gone by the time they came. They asked me questions about the man and the truck. I also got a long crash course on stranger danger. My parents would still leave me home alone, but I wasn't allowed to play in the front yard anymore unless someone was home and could see me. I didn't go outside at all after that unless someone was home or if they were with me. My parents pretty much made it clear that if someone snatched me, they would hurt me and I would never see them again. I was beyond scared at that idea. So, man in the truck, let's not meet. You terrified me. I was scared you might come back every time I was alone, and this time you would get me in that red truck. You robbed me of having some trust in people as a young child, and to this day, it haunts me. So seriously, let's not meet. This happened almost eight years ago, when I was 13. My grandmother was in the hospital with pneumonia. By the time my family got there, there was about 11 to 15 of us. Yeah, it's a lot, but five out of the eight children were there with their families. After a little while, they told us we needed to leave so they could give her some shots. At the time, we didn't know there was a waiting room on the floor, so my uncle suggested we go down to the first floor so we could sit in the ER waiting room. We had to go down on two separate elevators since there was so many of us. Once we got down there, we saw two nurses hiding behind a door. When we asked what was wrong, they said, nothing, you can still go in there. We walked in. It was about 2 p.m. on a Sunday. There was no one in there, and the lights were off. Yes, in retrospect, we should have just turned around and walked back out. But like all dumb people in horror movies, we didn't think anything of it. We met up with the rest of the family. That's when we noticed two other guys. The first man was sitting with his hands behind his back. The second one was standing behind him, holding his wrists together. The man was staring daggers right at me. After about 10 minutes of sitting and staring, a third man in a hospital security uniform came up and asked if we saw anything. Visibly confused, we said no, and they told us we needed to leave. We went back up to the fourth floor and found the waiting room. It was right next to the psych ward with a sign that said, Stay clear. High chance of flight risks. Now you might be thinking, what's so scary about that story? A random guy was staring at a 13-year-old girl. Well, a little while later, we found out what had happened. The man sitting with his hands restrained was a junkie looking for a quick fix. He had walked in and was told that he couldn't get any drugs without a medical reason. So he pulled out a knife and stabbed the woman at the reception in the neck. Why we were allowed in the room with this man while the hospital was supposedly in lockdown, I have no clue. I also have no clue where the police were during this whole situation. 
This story does have kind of a happy ending, for the woman at least. About two years ago, this incident was brought up at a family gathering. My cousin said that the woman did survive. She no longer works for the hospital and has a lot of difficulties resulting from her injury, but she was working as a secretary for a school. So, junkie who stabbed a woman and kept staring at me. That's not me. So let me begin this story with how I was an idiot. Drug addicted, alcoholic, riddled with anxiety. I was dealing with some very traumatic stuff, then was abruptly taken off of benzodiazepines for some time, and even experienced a seizure. I was most definitely at my rock bottom. Due to this, I did not have the best judgment nor a good judge of character. I started hanging out with a very nasty crowd. Grunge, punk rock, loved to party, never had their own cash, destructive, impulsive. You get the drill. An ex-friend of mine, we'll call him Sideshow Bob, started hanging out with me quite a bit more and more as the weeks passed. Bob worked as a pizza delivery driver. He never, and I mean never, washed his clothes to which he owned maybe three outfits, including his work uniform, and only women's clothes for some reason. The women's clothes he wore to be punky. I saw no shame in that, even though it was kind of cool how he didn't care what others thought about it. But that also means he liked my clothes. So, like a little sister might do, he constantly took my clothes. Keep in mind, he also barely showered. Often, if he even woke up before 5pm in time for work, he jumped off my couch, took a pack of my cigarettes without asking, and sped off. Within the four month period he stayed in my home, I literally saw him go take a shower about five times. His feet, those feet, were the worst I've ever smelled. Long after the situation was dealt with and he was gone, my carpet absorbed that scent. I tried everything to remove it, but alas, I left that home with his stench. He paid nothing, not a single bill, never contributed to groceries, cleaning, nothing. Nor was he on my lease, yet he somehow established residency in my home legally. It didn't bother me so much at the time. As I said, I was at my rock bottom and was basically just happy to have someone to be an idiot with me. I considered him my goofy, annoying, stinky best friend. Until that wasn't enough for him. He began to become obsessed with me. Very quickly he went from basically having everything he needed in life for free, while he kept any money or tips he made but decided to his own accord that we were to be together. Things got pretty awkward and cringe from here. If I'd return home from work, friend's house, etc., he'd cry and follow me room to freaking room, asking repeatedly why we can't just be together, that we were best friends already. We should date. I was not attracted to him, going through a divorce at that time. Oh yeah, 
Guess that also should account for my rock bottom thing too. And that I did not want to ruin our friendship. It got to the point where I avoided going home. I'd stay with my mother or my friends because he'd cry and follow me, desperately trying to convince me to be with him. I'd almost often find him in my bed at this point, and he quit his job to have a better chance of seeing me. I had told him if this continued I would no longer allow him to crash there. At one point after avoiding him for a few days, Sideshow Bob really started to come out of his shell. He cornered me, screaming. I am sick and fucking tired of being rejected by you fucking women. It's not happening anymore. Now I was scared. I never saw him as a threatening individual before. Just a goofy character. Now you might be thinking I let him on, but that is not the case. He had been a friend for years was in my wedding, and was fully aware I had no feelings for him. But now I was genuinely afraid of him. I asked him to leave and he was no longer welcome. He refused. He said by law he was required 30 days notice to be evicted. When I spoke with the police they understood my situation, but explained he'd either have to be evicted or I'd have to get a restraining order. I filed the restraining order, which they immediately granted me, but he chose to ignore it. Once he left my home, I locked all doors and windows. When he returned, I showed him the order to which he replied. You stupid I'm not leaving. I tried calling the police every time he showed up, but by the time they'd get there, he was gone. There were shoe prints on that door and cracks from all the attempts he made to force it open. It never shut correctly after those attempts, and they were never able to officially serve him. Why? Because they could never find him. I honestly believe they tried once, then gave up. I provided them with his plates, friends' addresses of where he stayed, previous employment, everything needed. I'd stayed up late at night hearing his vehicle. It was very loud and easily identified, slowly driving by my home, staring at me, day and night. I'd just be scared looking through my window, always with phone in hand preparing. At one time he even hid behind my front door, had a mutual friend knock, then jumped out and shoved the door open and entered. Even went as far as to message my young, underage nephew who he met maybe one time on Facebook to try and gain sympathy and convince him to get me to change my mind, crossing even more obvious boundaries. It was a living nightmare. Eventually he moved on to his next obsession and I was somewhat at peace. Several months later he was on our local news for attempting to slit his ex-girlfriend's throat and beating her until she was unconscious, until a neighbor rushed over and he fled. All I could think about was how that could have been me. So, Sideshow Bob, let's never meet again.
Back in 2007, shortly after my 15th birthday, my mom was out of town for a few days on a business trip. My mom and I lived alone in a small house in a neighborhood that was on the sketchier end of decent. And that fact combined with her paranoia about me being home alone longer than four or five hours meant that I had to stay over at a friend's house while she was gone. This friend's house was across the street and over one house from my own. The place my mom was going was only about two hours away and I'd gotten a bug up my butt about being treated like the young woman that everyone else kept calling me. So for the week leading up to my trip I was moaning and groaning about being old enough to take care of myself and insisting that I could just check in with my friend's parents every now and then. But in truth, my house was pretty creepy at night, even when my mom was there with me. And I'd found out the day my mom was scheduled to leave that my friend had somehow gotten her hands on a PlayStation 3. So it didn't take me too long to get over being unfairly babysat. At around 11 on the last night I was there, we ended up back in my friend's room, screwing around with the brand new flip phone I had gotten for my birthday. Her parents had gone out hours earlier after buying us a pizza for dinner, and probably weren't going to be back for at least an hour, and we had gotten bored downstairs with her one PS3 game that we'd been playing for days already. Turns out she had the PlayStation, but didn't have any money to actually buy games for it. That's how it usually goes though, huh? It was too late to call any of our friends, but I knew my mom was coming home tomorrow morning at some ungodly hour, and I knew that she had this thing about our answering machine. No matter how tired she was, no matter where she had gotten back from, if there were any messages on the answering machine, she would listen to all of them. Being the bored 15-year-olds that we were, my friend and I decided to leave a message or two for my mom to find in the morning. We called my home phone and put it on speaker, cracking up and trying to figure out what our message was going to be about. It normally took five rings for a call to go to the machine, but on the third ring the phone picks up and we hear, the voice sounded like it belonged to some 60-year-old guy who'd been smoking for the last 40 years of his life. But even past that, there was this menace to his voice. I can't describe it exactly, but it sounded very cold and very dangerous. The sort of voice where if you heard it on the street, you'd want to get away from the person immediately. I looked at my friend. Her eyes were huge and her face was completely pale, and I'm sure I didn't look any better. Neither of us could get it together to say anything in response. Hello? He said again. There was a pause and I tried to squeak out something along the lines of, Who the hell are you and why are you in my house? But then he said in a very low voice, He slammed the phone down and the call disconnected. I immediately dropped my phone and proceeded to freak the heck out, as did my friend. She asked me if I knew who that was and I said no. Of course I didn't know who this creepy freaking guy answering my phone at 11 o'clock at night was. We checked the call log to see if we'd accidentally called the wrong number. No, 
correct number. We were so shaken up that we couldn't immediately figure out who we should call or what we should do. If we should call the cops or call my mom or call my friend's parents or run around making sure all the doors and windows were locked or what. So we ended up sprinting around my friend's house double checking every lock we could check while gasping out what happened to my friend's parents on the phone. They were about 15 minutes away and said they'd call 911 and her mother told us to stay in my friend's room with the door locked and all the lights on in case the sky was going from house to house. And so for 10 minutes, we were huddled in the very far corner of my friend's room, basically under her bed, jumping every time the house settled or one of our legs scraped on the carpet. You can imagine how freaked out we were when her parents rushed in and started rattling on her bedroom door forgetting that it was locked on their orders. The cops got to my house not too long after her parents got home. To be honest, I don't really remember a lot of the specifics about what the cops were doing, mainly because I refused to set foot outside of the house, but I remember that they asked my friend and I a lot of questions. We couldn't really give them a lot of information, unfortunately. We called from my friend's room, which was in the back of her house, away from where we would have been able to see my house. And, dude with a creepy smoker's voice isn't a very helpful description to go off of when looking for someone. One question they asked sticks out though, because I remember thinking that was weird for them to ask who had keys to the house. I told them only my mom and I had keys. I found out later that the reason the police asked that was because there were no signs of forced entry anywhere in the house, and that the front door was wide open when they got there. There wasn't really anything messed up and nothing was taken, but our wall-mounted corded phone was hanging off the hook, and the phone base itself was cracked like it had been smashed with something. Both my mom's room and my room also had some stuff moved around and displaced, like someone was going through our drawers and the stuff in our rooms. My mom was called and at some point during all of this managed to get home that night, very tired and very freaked out about what had happened. The cops investigated the incident but never came up with any answers. We were not doing too well financially at this point, but we still managed to move across town within a few months of this happening. For the months between that night and the day we moved though, I slept like complete crap and had really bad nightmares. I also flat out refused to be alone in the house, even for a couple of minutes, and started getting really obsessive about checking and double checking the locks, a habit which has stuck around since this happened. And now that I've written all this out, I remember that there's one thing I haven't told anyone about all of this. Mostly because at the time I thought that the whole thing might get blamed on me if I said anything. Earlier that day I had gone back over to my house to get a notebook of mine full of writing I wanted to show my friend. Nothing was obviously wrong as far as I could tell. The front door was locked when I got to it. No signs of any tampering with it or any weirdness by the door. No noises from any part of the house. But the minute I stepped inside, something just felt off. Really off. It was really, really quiet. 
I was getting chills all up and down my spine and I had goosebumps all over. I tried to will myself to just get over it, to go back to my room to get the notebook, but I couldn't make myself take more than a few steps into the house. I was too creeped out. I locked the door and ran back across the street. When I got back to my friend's house, I felt like an idiot, of course. Was I really such a wimp that I couldn't walk through my house when it was empty? But looking back, well, who knows? Maybe my gut was right about something just not being right. It freaks me out even thinking about what could have happened if I had ignored it and walked further inside. I've thought back on that moment a lot too, wondering if maybe I left the door open when I left. But there's no way. I distinctly remember locking the deadlock and looking over my shoulders the whole time, because I had that burning, crawling feeling on the back of my neck you get when you're being watched. And after the creepy call, I checked and I had my keys in my backpack. So, random home intruder with a creepy voice and a very mysterious, probably very messed up motive for breaking into my house. That's not me. Ever, ever again. I hope the last few weeks of 2020 is sufficient for you all. It seems as if sufficient is all we can ask for at this point. It's been a bit of a crazy roller coaster. Hopefully everyone has at least a few good things they can look back on. Focus on those. Also, if you're on Instagram and you're not following the podcast, shame on you. We're trying to get to a thousand followers by the end of the year and we're only a few away. So go over and follow us at Nightmare Society Radio. Big thanks goes to our producers for this week's episode. Danielle, Ginger, Mike to the D, Cat OJ, Devin, Savannah, Pixel Donut, Janelle, Michelle, Diane, Joy, Josh, Shorty, Lauren, Rebecca, Araceli, Kehlani Hawaii, Obese J, Katie P, Rory, Kaylee, Bradley, Christelle, Brandon, Shelby TX, Lorraine, Courtney, Chris, Heidi, Lila, Jaren, Carol, Holly, World V Bird, and our newest member, Bongra, whose name I'm sure I'm completely mispronouncing, but I'll get it eventually. If you're interested in becoming a member of the Nightmare Society Campfire Online, you can find us on patreon.com slash nightmare society. It's a way you can show support for the podcast, or if you're interested in bonus episodes, early access, and other fun stuff, that's where all that's housed. There's a few tiers for you to choose from starting from a dollar a month. Thanks so much for listening, and until next year, sweet. <laughs>